Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, Truth Seekers. You're listening to A Measure of Truth on blogtalkradio.com, and I'm your host, Michael Fordham. If you've just clicked the link on my webpage or you're listening on blogtalkradio.com or even the Blog Talk Radio player on my Facebook page and you want to call in live, look, we'd love to talk with you. So give us a call. The number is 347-326-9470. Oh, need a minute to get something to write with? But don't worry, I'll give the number again right after the commentary. Or if you like, you can Twitter me your questions and comments at twitter.com slash a measure of truth. Also, if you haven't yet, why don't you look me up on Facebook? I'm the Michael Fordham with a photo of me in studio, and you can always email me your questions and comments at a measure of truth at gmail.com. Look, we got a great show for you today. We'll be right back after this. A few weeks ago on my way home, I was stopped at the traffic light just before entering my neighborhood. And I was thinking to myself just how much better my commute was than it was the day before. Earlier that week, I took my usual shortcut behind the mayor's office. And my wife and I saw Mayor Adrian Fenty in his new smart car. He waved to my wife and I, but I couldn't get my camera out fast enough and I missed a great photo opportunity. So on Thursday, being better prepared... I tried again, but the weather was bad, and of course, so was the traffic. And I got stuck behind the mayor's office for over 20 minutes. When I got home, I was so beat, I went straight to my office and got myself a 40-minute acupressure infrared heat massage. And that brought me back to life. 
But today, traffic was a breeze. At the traffic light, I happened to look over to the car next to mine, and I saw a beautiful three-year-old little girl staring out of the window from her car seat in a daze. I smiled as I thought about how wonderfully simple our lives were back then when we were children. Then she noticed me, and she smiled back, and I looked away to see if the light had changed, and when I looked back again, I smiled and saw her looking at me, and then she started laughing hysterically, only the way a three-year-old could. So I laughed, and she laughed, and the light turned green, and I waved goodbye and proceeded home. As I was driving, I thought to myself, if that would have occurred yesterday, even after my 90 minutes in traffic, that would have been all I needed to snap me back to life. A three-year-old smile versus my expensive massage bed. The kid wins every time. On the drive through my neighborhood, I had an epiphany. How many things have I placed in my life to make up for not taking the time to really enjoy all the simple things life has to offer? Well, I'm sure I'm not the only one. Many of us have forgotten how to enjoy and appreciate the little things or even the small steps of our accomplishments or the little likes in our relationships or the small things that bring us joy in the pursuit of things that would bring us greater happiness. We have become impatient and always looking ahead to the thing that we perceive to be the source of our happiness. Webster's defines joy as the emotion evoked by well-being, success, or good fortune, or by the prospect of possessing what one desires. Look, be careful in life that you do not lose your joy. Research shows that if you do, loss of good health is not far behind. Take time out to enjoy the little things in life. Rejoice in reliving life's joys through sharing them often with others. And take a moment to relax in your moment of peace through your joy instead of the empty pursuit of pleasure. If you ever lose sight of life's joy, take every step in your power to reclaim it as soon as possible. Your first step to reclaim true joy in life is just to look to God. He's always willing to show us his glory to all who are willing to seek. Just take a moment and look around you, and you will see his joy everywhere. But if you still need a starting point, look in the eyes of a child. The younger, the better. There you will find true joy, or in other words, joy and a measure of truth. 7.33 a.m. is adapted from the urban romantic comedy by Manda Webb. It's Sex in the City, catches a love Jones, and then asks, why did I get married? It's a fresh, hip, and compelling screenplay set in political and power-hungry Washington, D.C. The audience is best man. In a nutshell, two women are dating the same man and don't know it. In a city infamous for its imbalanced ratio of women to men. In a town that's city slick and country cool, the real drama unfolds when two women find out about one another despite the carefully orchestrated mechanisms of the main male character. Damien Eric Cross, who is undoubtedly at a crossroads as to what woman to choose. An odyssey of sorts, the journey of the main characters in 7.33 a.m. is told from three different points of view. 
The screenplay, vividly written, captures the essence of man-sharing, relationship dynamics, and free will and the power of choice, comically, eloquently, and without judgment. Everyone, men and women, can relate to lust, love, betrayal, and consequences which ultimately create our life lessons. The script is a virtual candy store for actors and offers a range of simple-to-complex, multidimensional characters full of flaws and contagious life energy. 7.33 a.m. is funny, honest, and unflinchingly real, and sure to make you run the gamut of emotions from laughter to anger to tears. You will definitely holler out loud as this story touches you in ways that you could only relate to with your own personal experiences. Mondo Webb, welcome back to A Measure of Truth. Hello, Manda. hello, hello. <laughs> Hi, Michael Fordham. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you? But I I'm lost fine. you there for a second. <laughs> now, I, I would ask you what you're up to, but of course, as busy as you are, um, you know, it, it's really hard to say. Uh-huh. So what have you been into lately? Well, um, I do have a few things going on, Michael, and if anyone ever asks you, if they say, Michael, just give me a measure of truth. I want to know who is the busiest unemployed person you know. <laughs> then you say, Manda! <laughs> so, yes, yes, wow. I am out here chasing my dreams and thanking God that I have the opportunity to do so. And, you know, they, when they talk about the starving artist, I, I, I kind of believe that now. But it's okay. <laughs> it's all right. Wow. But um, I have a, still uh, touring and promoting the book. Um, I've also written a, a poetry book called Life is Like a Soul Train Line. Right. So uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm out doing some performances with that and mm-hmm. working with a couple of wonderful women on the uh, movie a version of 7.33 a.m., which has been adapted into, into a screenplay, as you said earlier. And I tell you, it's definitely more than a notion. And you know, I'm new in this space. I'm a virgin in, in this space, but I'm, I'm learning daily. So, yes, I, I am busy, but I'm, I'm pretty happy pursuing and chasing the dream for sure. <laughs> wow, I'm really excited about this because um, the the you know the novel itself is um, very urban. It's very now. It's very you know realistic as to you know experiences that people you know are very very familiar with, but just with a little twist and. Um, I, I don't know that there's anybody out there that has the skills of your main character as far as misleading women. <laughs> it, it would take an actor. <laughs> yeah. And um, have you actually started filming the main parts of this film yet? Because I know that you did something at the Black Family um, reunion, right? Yes, we uh, we did. There is. We haven't started the actual filming as of yet. However, uh, we are in a period of um, pre-production whereby we're getting all of our agreements for location agreements. We're trying to um, get distribution, actually, um, and we're also looking to get uh, uh, commitments from um, musical artists, from actors, so that you know when all is set and in place, and when I say that, I mean we've raised the money that we need, um, and everyone's schedule coincides. We have a, like a 30-day shooting schedule, and we'll be ready to go. 
Um, and, you know, we have I have a wonderful team that I'm working with and a producer with over 22 years of film experience, and she is she is on it. So if anything comes up, we'll be ready to pivot on a dime. But, we, you know, there, it is a process. It is definitely a process, Michael Fordham. And like I said, I'm learning every day. Um, mm-hmm. But it's exciting. And, you know, I have a lot of respect for people in the industry and, and even more respect for independent filmmakers who really have to pave their own way. Right, right. Now, this is actually going to be filmed here in Washington, D.C.? Absolutely. It couldn't be awesome. filmed any other place. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, how they'll how some of the, the movies will shoot in Canada or Detroit or just somewhere different. <laughs> um, you know, Washington, D.C. Is, is showcased in 7.33 a.m. It is like an actual character, and there are just certain things that can't be duplicated. And I'm not talking about just the monuments. I'm talking about the Capitol Jazz Festival and the Black right. Family Reunion mm-hmm. and, you know, Tacoma Station. Who can get past those big, big Long Island iced teas and chicken wings <laughs> and fried chicken wings? And and Chuck Brown, you know, those things right, are, just, exactly. are just, just integral to a true Washingtonian experience, especially as an African-American growing up here. So there there's no compromise about where we're shooting. We're shooting here in the district. <laughs> so tell us, how was it converting your novel into a screenplay? Well, um, for me, the author, it was rather painful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> uh, my, my producer might call in fussing, but you know, the, uh, a, a movie, a, typically a movie is 120 minutes or two hours. And for us to have a romantic urban drama with a hint of comedy, then normally from an industry standpoint, it should probably only be about an hour and a half, maybe an hour, 40 minutes at most. Um, and so to have to, you know, take the contents of the novel and truncate it and make it into a film that is, is seamless and a film that gets the point across that really, you know, captures the, the spirit of Washington, the characters, because basically the characters could be anyone that you know um, and mm. have known growing up. So right. we want that type of... Um, of warmth and familiarity to come out within the screenplay. But for me, there was so much that I wanted to, you know, include. Well, what about this? And what about this? And, mm. you know, I, I didn't, hey, who who, t- who takes budget into account when you're writing a novel, right? <laughs> right. So, <laughs> so many lessons. My producer was like, uh, no, we, uh, we're not shooting a studio film. We don't have that kind of budget. But I think uh, what we've come up with is, um, is a nice, tight uh, adaptation from the novel, and it should be pretty exciting. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, it's still one of my favorites. I mean, and um, you know, I, I read a number of um, Terry McMillan um, pieces as well, and um, you know, it wasn't something that I was used to reading before, but um, it, I think it helped me to be able to appreciate your writing style as well as the um, the way the intricate things about relationships that are added in this book. And, you know, we all sort of make decisions when we're reading through it. And we're saying, well, I would have done this and I would have done that. And before you know it, you're so involved, you're, you're just gone. You have to find out what happens next. It was one of the hardest books to put down that I've ever read, to tell you the truth. Thank you, Michael. And, and you know, to your point, I interviewed um, a lot of people. Basically, yes, the the actual um, man-sharing piece was a part of a story, um, part of my story, but most, a lot of the things and uh, incidents in the book came from me just talking to guys, and, you know, I have a couple of really good male friends, and I asked them to please, please, please break the man rules 
and tell me how it really is. Pretend like I was one of the boys, one of the fellas, or a fly on the wall. What would you say if I wasn't in the room? What would you do if you knew you didn't have to suffer consequences based on your actions? And I got some really almost uh, chilling responses. And, uh, you know, they say that men are from Mars and women are from Venus. We really are. Mm. Uh, but I, I don't know if we'll ever <laughs> fully understand one another. But right. But I, before, I think, before we go any further, uh-huh. I have to put this out there. You didn't uh, ask me. I just want people to know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not the good one. Guys. You are married and everything. <laughs> I had to ask the single brothers out here who have so right. many choices. Uh-huh. You know, and and so, um, but, but I, I think that really does um, um, help with the authenticity of the book and make it seem so real because, in many instances, it is. Yeah, and, and even though a lot of the um, the novel itself revolves around the Washington D.C. area, um, uh-huh. it, it's like um, everyone has grown up with someone like one of the characters. Either that they. Um, you know, have worked with someone like that. You've heard the stories through someone, something similar to this. And um, it, it's just, it's really good. It's so realistic that you you would think most of it is a true story. Well, thank you. And I well, would I would put that on my writing skills. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. But no, and, and you what, know what, and to tell you the truth. What to your modesty? No. <laughs> But to, to tell you the truth, Michael, um, the stories, the real-life stories that are out there, I can't make this stuff up. The real-life stories that are out there are so much more outrageous. Mm-hmm. Believe me, that I put than what I put in the book, that, you know, my book is toned down. I mean, real my book has nothing on real life. I'm going to tell you now. Yeah. I'm going to tell you now. But, um, you know, I, just as you said, many of us have, have found ourselves in, in that type of circumstance, uh, whether you be man or woman, where someone has been unfaithful. And, you know, the overall theme of the book is to love yourself and others will follow. And and sometimes it, it takes you a while to get there, um, especially as women. You know, we're, we're mostly we're brought up to kind of nurture and, uh, you know, um, uh, take care of our men, and to just to to be okay with putting up with some with things because that's just the way it is, um, you know. So that yeah, men go out and cheat. It's okay. That's just the way it is. But um, again, the same thing happens um, with with women who do that to men. So it's, it's all in how you manage the truth once once you find out about it. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and um, well, and there is a lesson learned in this as well. Um, and I think it is, well, I don't know if I should go that far, but you really won't be deceived any further than you want to be led. So, and, and, and that's, that's really the point. Um, but, um, I agree. It, it's very, very interesting though, how much you went into each person's, you know, singular role in their lives too. And, um, uh, tell us a little bit about this um seeing this point of view from these three different perspectives and what gave you that idea to sort of split it up that way well i i tell you in in real life uh i was so in, i actually i almost felt as if i were on the outside looking in and i i took some time dysfunctional as it may seem to um build somewhat of a relationship with the, this other woman because, you know, when it came down to it and we found out that, you know, this guy was dating both of us, we all had a chat. <laughs> and 
there were no earrings being pulled off or no Vaseline. However, <laughs> howsoever, it ended up with her basically saying, well, I'm not going anywhere. And I looked at her and I said, well, I'm not going anywhere. So the battle lines were drawn. And so I spent some time literally talking to her about, you know, where she was, her mindset, what would make her um, not want to go anywhere. I knew where I was coming from. And then um, I spoke with my then boyfriend, like, you know, when the whole thing had blown over, what made you think you can do that? Um, And what made you think you could get away with it? And primarily, you know, people want to point fingers and, you know, do a blame game. But personally, um, as you said, Michael, people allow things to happen to them, and there are certain signs that many of us choose to ignore, male or female, when you know in your gut that something's not right. And so um, as far as the character development, I I went into it so deeply because – you know they talk about that there are three sides to every story. So with those with uh, with a point of view from three different characters, you pretty much have nine different sides going on at all times in the novel, mm. and you have to decide what truth you want to embrace. Right. Yeah. 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 It's a, it's a roller coaster ride. There's <laughs> <laughs> quite a few twists as well, things that you don't expect, even though you sort of project to yourself that, yeah, this is going to happen. Eventually this will happen. And, you know, it's quite a little twist there. And um, I think that was very clever. Maybe that was real life. <laughs> I don't know. But, um, yeah, definitely good stuff. And um, tell us a little bit about what you've been doing as far as promoting the book as well as your new poetry book as well. Well, I um, I will. <laughs> I, I had a chance to meet Michael Bazin a few years ago. He was uh, uh, traveling around the country doing a you know live your dream tour, and um, you know I thrust a book into his hand and and chatted with him for a minute, and you know <laughs> he said that when he first got started, you know he said I would sell a book at a funeral. And he was basically, he wanted to really um, convey the hustle that you have to have in order to to self-publish and Mm. to move your books. Because, you know, you have to market. You're responsible for the marketing. And what I found um, in the past, uh, December 2007 is when I first first, uh, published, is that people respond to you. Um, yeah, they may like the book and like the writing, but they respond to you. So you kind of have to sell yourself. And I've been on the circuit. I've been to different cities. I called upon favors from sorority sisters and friends and relatives and said, look, can you have a book signing at your house? I've talked, you know, some of the bookstores, Human in Harlem, New York, you know, can I come and, you know, share um, from my novel? And it took two years, but I got there. I've been there a couple of times since. So I, that that was um a definite victory. I tweet, you know, I'm on Facebook. Definitely social media I think is huge, especially for a self published author because, you know, for people um to feel as if they know you and get to know kind of what you're doing with your life and it's very interactive. So social media is big. Um, I sell on my website, go through Amazon dot com. But um I think that the the key is just to have consistency. Um and for um, my personal goal is to try and have a new product every year. So um, this year I published a, a book of poetry uh, <laughs> called Life is Like a Soul Train Line. And um, <laughs> well, yeah. You have to stop right there and tell us a little bit about how you, you came to this title because I remember when you first told me that, and I was like, wow, um, that, that's a book of poetry? <laughs> yeah, you know what, Michael. 
<laughs> it is, it is. But I'm going to tell you why. Don Cornelius, he's a genius, total genius, because all of the people you've ever seen in a solo train line, including yourself, when you're in that line, aren't you, like, completely happy? Like the little kid you talked about, the three-year-old, right? <laughs> right, right, Just major happiness in this soul train line with everyone just forgetting the moment and just embracing the happy. And so <laughs> <laughs> the premise of this book is to, no matter what kind of situation you're going through, um, just look at it as being in a soul train line, and to embrace the happy in that moment because it's all only temporary. And while so many of us are, are, are busy, you know, trying to get to the next step, uh, many of us forget what comes in between, which is life, which is living. Mm. And so, um, you know, I've said, you know, life is like a soul train line, and you never know what dance you're going to do when you get to the front of the line. But with God holding your hand, you'll be just fine. Right, right. <laughs> so you, you're going to do a little something from that um, collection of poetry later? I would love to. Okay, so what we'll do is we'll just take a quick break, and we'll okay. hear from Kanu, who's doing great work in Haiti. And right after that, we'll be back with Manda with a selection from Life is Like a Soul Train Line. Thank you. Kainu, which means Our House in Haitian Creole, is an organization devoted to caring for abandoned and disenfranchised youth in Haiti. Kainu was started in 2009 by Executive Director E. Joanne Richard. Kainu aims to address the physical, emotional, and academic needs of Haitian youth. Their organizational model has adapted to the challenges unearthed by the devastating January 12th earthquake, which destroyed the majority of the government's buildings and the country's already weak infrastructure. This natural disaster created tremendous challenges, which adversely impact the hopes of the Haitian population and the future of the country. In addition to the earthquake, Recent hurricanes and other natural disasters rendered the community unable to meet the basic quality of life needs for the majority of its citizens, especially in the rural communities. Kainu seeks to rebuild hope through education and employment opportunities, as well as create relevant and duplicatable projects that the people of Haiti will be able to manage. In addition to the youth, Kainu seeks to help the adults of Haiti with the reconstruction of schools and housing. Sponsor a child and create real, lasting change, not only for them, but for their community. For just $15, a child can receive a full uniform for the school year. Kainu believes that the uniforms will build confidence for the students and also encourage families to enroll their kids in school, knowing that they will not have to choose between educating their children over feeding their families. Become a sponsor by promoting this event via email, on Facebook, Twitter, and with your community, networks, family, friends, and coworkers. For more information, check out kainu.org. That's K-A-Y-N-O-U-I-N-C dot org. Welcome back, Truth Seekers. You're listening to A Measure of Truth on blogtalkradio.com, and I'm your host, Michael Fordham, and we're on live with Monda Webb. Manda. Hello, hello. <laughs> so you're I... ready for a little um, taste of the poetry. All right. I so... wanted to. Oh, I'm sorry, Michael. Go ahead. No, no. You're I was just going to ask sorry. you. You're no, I was just going to ask. <laughs> I was going to ask you the title of the poem you were going to share with us. Oh, okay. All right. Um, the title is called "Speech of a Lifetime," and uh, the way the way the 
book is broken up is by sections of dances that were done on in the Soul Train line. So, you know, you've got the boogie, you've got the slow dance, which represents love. You've got the moonwalk, which represents people who have passed. Uh, the good foot, which is a spiritual section. So this particular poem is dedicated to uh, our president, and it's in a section called The Robot, because so often in politics, Michael, people don't uh, use their brains. They just mm-hmm. go along and to get along and, and do what uh, others tell them to do. So you kind of, people kind of act like robots. And um, and preceding the section, I have a quote that says, don't be distracted by what's meant to be distracting. And uh, this particular poem I wrote uh, for Senator Barack Obama at uh, after the speech he delivered at the Democratic National Convention on August 28, 2008. And as we, you know, move, um, I mean, we're in a pretty racy political climate, pun intended, now. And I think that tomorrow night when our president delivers the State of the Union, um, then perhaps that will um, maybe supersede this speech of a lifetime um, for those who are trying to make sure that he's a one-term president. Mm -hmm. So I just kind of want to remind folks out there, uh, you know, what a good president we have, uh, a man who is fair, who's conscious, and is, in my opinion, a true humanitarian. All right. And give us the name of it again before you start. Okay. Speech of a Lifetime. Tonight you invoked the spirit of the ancestors. You spoke simply, eloquently, without bitterness festered from weeks of being unjustly accused and viciously attacked for months, withstanding the pressure of being verbally abused. At times your own party turned their backs on you, but as you stated while neutralizing the opposition, it's not about you. As the country prepares for a new transition, you you spoke only what is true. It is about us. You resurrected sentiments we can all relate to, hope, change, faith, a better tomorrow. No party lines, no red and no blue, solemnly lifting us from the depths of sorrow of a mother not alive to see her son, of a deceased reporter who would have wholeheartedly embraced the fun, of a slain party member who would have proudly cast their vote during roll call of a Congressional Black Caucus representative who would have undoubtedly had a ball with the sheer emotional historical headiness of it all, you brought the fire. Leo that you are had more people watching you than the final show of The Wire. You have literally and figuratively raised the bar in politics for action, for movement, for the ease, responsibility, accountability, and family. It is about us. On the anniversary of a dream articulated by Dr. Martin Luther King, you wove the fabric of a quilt made with one seam, connecting people in the U.S. and the world with such clear vision and a sparkling gleam, in the depths of your eyes offering pieces of your soul as Michelle and your daughters are forced to share your whole with the world. It is about us. So thank you, Senator. For the speech of a lifetime, thank you for taking the time to find yourself, to tell your story, to walk in our shoes, for respect of persons, for depth of character, for supporting human rights and the right to choose, for laying down the plan and supporting the gray. Not all is black and white, and you're right. It doesn't have to stay that way. Enough is enough. 
It's time to move on. New problems, new solutions, old guard thinking is gone. Character, dignity, and integrity has become the new resolution. It is about us. As you embark upon a new chapter in your journey, stand up and take note. Sam Cooke was right. A change is going to come. Despite color and gender lines, many of us are in the same boat, willing to work together to get things done. Because after all, it is about us. Oh, nice. Thank you. Mm. You know, it's something that has been on my mind as well. And um, <clears throat> recently in my um, three-year anniversary show, I, I did a show of nothing but the commentaries. And I, I did some from before the election, as well as um, a few that I did afterwards. And I think I want to add a few more because some of the words you spoke reminded me as well of some of these, you know, defenses I had against the way of the world and how, you know, so many people were turning their backs on the president that everyone seemed to love on Inauguration Day. And it was just amazing how, you know, quickly we have changed. Mm-hmm. And how people, too, will criticize and in the same breath, applaud those who are trying to block the same promises that he has made for us. So it, it's just conflicting all the way around. It just doesn't make any sense. Yeah. And um, I, I appreciate that, you know. And I think we definitely need more of that. You know, the time has come for us to get back behind the decision we all made. Yeah. I agree. And thank, thank you, Michael. Thank you for allowing me to share. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, and um, for some reason, though, when I when I heard the title, I would assume that most of your points would, would be more whimsical, but um, <laughs> I wasn't ready for that. Ah! <laughs> yeah, yeah. And tell us a little bit. Um, now, when you just came back, were you promoting um, 733 or were you promoting your um, your poetry book as well? When I came back from the break? Yeah, um, no, no, I'm sorry, from the, um, you were promoting your book in your recent um, trip from Memphis, correct? Oh, actually, um, no, that was a family thing. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> you have family there? That was, yeah, I do have a sister there. Um, oh, she oh, actually okay. started a charter school in, in Memphis, and uh, mm-hmm. so I went there for the weekend to surprise my dad for his 64th birthday, so we had a good time, yeah. All right, all right. And, you know, I believe we have online now um, LaRonda Angelis, who is another poet. Are you here with us, LaRonda? I am. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, we're glad to have you back. And um, another poet as well as multi-talented young lady (laughs) who actually um, does live performances of her paintings and um, one of her favorite subjects is Barack Obama as well. And um, I think it's a little liturgical as well because you kind of perform it and dance it as well as paint and do a little poetry as well. Tell us a little bit about how you got the idea to to do this. Well, years ago I was looking at television and I saw an artist and he was on there painting live and I thought, oh, that was so awesome and cool to do because I didn't, really see a lot of that being done anywhere, um, you know, here or around the world. And this was probably about 20-something years ago. And although people do it, you don't really get to hear a lot about it unless you're in the midst of certain people. So I thought 
you know, that would be really nice to do, to do it my way. So I love to perform on stage. I love to perform with uh, musicians and um, just band members, and it's just an awesome thing to do. And I just, I've just have taken it to another level. Mm-hmm. And and tell us a little bit about um, your clientele and some of your pieces, and who are some of your um, fans of your work? Oh, let's see. Uh, Grammy Award winner Seal has a piece of my work. Uh, Brian McKnight has a piece of my work. Um, Paul Taylor, he's a saxophone player. A lot of the musicians that I uh, paint with, I try to give them the option to buy first uh, because, you know, it's them who I'm actually portraying on stage. So I would like for every artist or every musician to own a piece of my work before one of us passes on. (laughs) Oh, so you've actually worked with Seal and Brian McKnight as well? Uh, well, actually, I haven't worked with them. They're just oh. uh, they they do have a piece of my work, but I haven't actually worked with them. But they are at the top of my list wow. to work with, definitely. Now, um, so you've been painting and selling these paintings um, professionally for how long now? Let's see. I've been painting probably about twenty years now, mm-hmm. but I've been painting live maybe about eight. Now let's let's take you back to the first time you painted live. Now how did you get that concept out here? You told someone you were going to do a performance and it was going to be you painting live. Tell me what they thought of that whole idea when you told them that. Well, they probably didn't understand it. Most people don't. Even when I'm on stage, they're like, what are you getting ready to do? Even when they see me, they're like, oh, what's happening? Everybody's like, because they see a canvas and it's blank, so they don't really know what's going on. So it takes a minute to comprehend what's actually going to happen because it's different. When, Like I said, if you don't see it done um, on a daily basis, it's a little different from being a singer. Um, you know, they're not expecting it, so they're not really sure what's going to happen. So, And then after the fact, they're like, oh, so now I know what you do. So it's it's a little different, but it's it's entertaining. And how long does it take for you to, to paint live? I mean, your canvases, I've always seen them. They're very large. And um, yes. to, to fill that whole canvas with paint and, and to do what you do, um, it would seem like it would take a long time. Sometimes uh, painting uh, usually takes, if you're in the midst of your own time and studio time, it may take you a week, it may take you two to three months, maybe even a year to do a painting in detail. But when you're on stage and you're uh, speed painting, it can take anywhere from five to 15 minutes. Really? Mm -hmm. Wow. (laughs) <laughs> now, I, I saw one of your videos, but I thought maybe some of it was sped up. Or <laughs> it, it was actually, a, that particular video of Barack was done in about 15 minutes. The only time it was sped up was when, um, at the end, uh, when the videographer did something to the tape. He He sped it up just a little, but it had nothing to do with my actual performance because it was three songs so it took about 15 minutes wow now so when you when you do your poetry as well are you doing that at the same time you're painting or is that a separate part 
sometimes is uh, at the same time, and other times it's separate. So where did so you get I, the I like idea to, to, to combine to all of these things? Yeah, <laughs> to combine so many things. I, I mean, you've got talents, but many of us who are multi-talented don't do everything at the same time. Well, it's kind of like I I compare it to being a singer because, you know, usually they're dancing and they're singing. Right. And I like to paint and recite. Hmm. So it's... It, it's a little different, but like uh, I said, it's, it's entertaining. It's very different because, you know, you're using totally different parts of your brain. Singers who are singing and dancing, it's all rhythmic, but uh, it, it's just amazing that you can do that. That that requires some serious coordination, I think. And uh, I just can't imagine how someone can do that, you know. It's it's just, I don't know. I think kind it of, comes for me uh, being left-handed. <laughs> Maybe I'm a that little, too? Oh, just okay. a little creative. <laughs> Oh wow! So so tell us um where people can go to to see some of your paintings as well um and um the video you guys don't want to click on that just yet because you'll hear two things at the same time but um, give them your website address. Okay, my website is paintinglive dot com. That's www dot paintinglive dot com, and you can also find me on Facebook under Laronda Angelisa or uh, you can find me at Painting Live. I think it's Facebook slash Painting Live. Okay. And um, so what are you looking forward to trying to do to promote yourself in the near future? You say you want to get out and do more of these live events. Um, paint a picture for us as far as what would be the, the scenario that would be best for you to be able to get out and do what you do, get the exposure that you think you need as well as um, – you know, continue to promote the kind of work that you do. Okay. Well, I think over the course of years I've learned that um, although I'm doing the same thing, it's different in every arena that I step into. I've been in the school system. I've been um, on the corporate side doing, you know, a special events. I've been at the jazz festivals. I've done this at church. Uh, so I want to take it to a level where people are just, promoting art, especially for the school, the children. I would love for all the kids, you know, to have a different type of role model because it isn't just about sports. Uh, you know, children love art, and I think we all know that. We all was once a child, and I think art was probably everybody's favorite subject when you're that small. But a lot of people want to take that out of school. And I don't think it's necessary to take it out, I think, because we all are creative. We're all artists in our own way. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think anyone pretty much could express themselves through paint. It may not be something that someone else can appreciate, but we we all have that ability. (laughs) And um, do you have a piece that you would like to share for us? Uh, I do. I do have a piece. Um, well, this is a a piece that's coming from the poetic side. And this is um, something that I did with my piano player. Mm-hmm. And um, so you'll be listening to uh, me and a track. So I, I think that'll be okay, right, Michael? 
Um, I don't know. Um, <laughs> we'll try it. If it doesn't work, we'll we'll do the one I had pre-recorded. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And this particular piece, uh, it comes from um, an incident. Actually, it was a true story that you know everybody doesn't like you for whatever reason, and even you know they don't really have to know you not to like you. They just you know assume that you're a certain way. So uh, I entitled this piece Jealous Vibes because it has a little vibe and, you know, it has a little jealousy in there. So um, I'm going to try to play this. Are you ready for it? Yeah, yeah. And what happens is if it, if it doesn't come through, I'll just go ahead and mute it and go to the pre-recorded track. So listen on your phone. So if you hear it go off, you know that I'm on to the other one. <laughs> okay, let me see if I can figure this out. Um let me see. My producer is losing her mind right now. <laughs> uh, okay. I, I I know I don't hear you putting in the cassette tape. Like <laughs> 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 <Michael>, you are silly. <laughs> Can you hear that? Yeah, it sounds good so far. Nothing is ever what it seems. Trials and tribulations, to say the least. You reap what you sow. Go ahead, plant your seeds. Now you're wondering why your beautiful flowers are all covered with weeds. Hiding behind your own shadow. What? You trying not to be seen? You're all up in my business, but you don't even know me. To form an opinion that would be guessing. Judging a book by its cover. Well, that goes without question. Who gave you the right to unseat me from my throne. The Bible says people with glass houses should never throw stones. Don't burn your bridges before you reach the other side. You see, you're the kind that won't miss the water until the well runs dry. Walking around like you're all high and mighty. Portraying an image you can't keep. You may have some of them food, but you don't have me on a leash. There's a penalty to something forfeited when someone like you fails to do something agreed. You see, the disadvantages here is you're not even in my league. Don't bother running this race. You're not crossing the finish line. Your envy and jealousy has got the best of you this time. Jealous vibes. <laughs> okay. I, I, I don't think I have to ask you why you wrote that. <laughs> <laughs> I think you might have had someone in mind. 
like I said, you know, sometimes people don't, you know, appreciate who you are, but, mm. that, you know, they come to understand you. And then everything's okay. Now, tell me a little bit about living in Memphis and being an artist. Um, you in Nashville. I'm sorry. Yeah, Monda was in Memphis, and she she got me now in Memphis. <laughs> in Nashville, being an artist, um, is there a big, um, you know, art following there? Are people into the visual art? I think it depends art? on uh, what you're doing. Um, it's a greater appreciation, I think, on the jazz side. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're I don't think we're at that level where um, we're appreciating the artists here. I see. It's not like, if, I think if I was living in New York or Chicago, I think people would probably, um, you know, have a different take on what I do. I see. And um, have you been able to travel to some of these other locations to be able to do your work, or is this something you're looking to try to do in the near future? I'm looking to do that in the near future. I did um, have a chance to go to Washington, D.C., and everything was pretty much the same because I wanted to see how uh, people look at me because, you know, this is, you know, the South and then they're up North, and it it, it was the same. It was it was no different. So, mm-hmm. um, ev- you know, everybody was, like, amazed, and, you know, they – they're just stunned, really, when they see it, because, like I said, they haven't. It's um, something that they don't see every day. Right, right. And Manda, what did you think of that? Manda, you there? <laughs> she snuck away on us. I see the line is still there, but she's gone. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Manda, if, if you if you come back, just let us know when you're back, because uh, we definitely wanted to um, get you to. Give some more information about where people can find your book as well as your website and um, your Facebook and all of that stuff. So um, that's a, that was a hint from my producer to give her a call. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back after this. The time has come for us to learn, to analyze and scrutinize the things that we have conveniently come to believe as factual through repetition from what is actually the real truth. We have somehow been led to slaughter by our refusing to ask the questions that would hopefully make sense of the rhetoric, if indeed the rhetoric made any sense at all. We have our suspicions for good reason. So often we find it easier to go along to get along rather than ask the questions that would lead us to the truth. Have we grown so accustomed to being lied to that the lie has become the thing that we desire? Have we lost our taste over the years for what is real and factual because we would rather be entertained than informed? How is it that we would rather focus on one tiny fragment of the aftermath than the root, source? and the cause. What then stops us from opening the debate that would bring about the key changes needed to break the cycle of injustice? Have we been made to feel powerless, or are we just unconcerned? What will it take to wake up America, 
In this age of information technology, there's more usable, factual resources available to the average individual through the Internet that could have ever been available to the most learned scholar just 15 years ago. But we still choose to be spoon-fed rather than research, debate, and digest the truth for ourselves. Now we find that we are so brainwashed that our attention now locksteps to the next scandalous, exaggerated, emotion-driven headline, while the truth sits unnoticed, in plain sight, yet another day. Well, I for one will not be a part of this brainwashing of the masses, this decline in intellect, this surrender of conscience. So where do you stand in the scheme of things? Free thinker with a mindset to seek out and devour the truth, or just another cog in the wheel of blind complacency? Well, of course the choice is yours. But as for me, no matter how much garbage you try to heap in my direction, I will always maintain a healthy appetite for a measure of truth. Hi, I'm Michael Fordham, host of A Measure of Truth on blogtalkradio.com. And I want to take a moment to talk to you about a heinous crime against humanity that plagues our nation. And yes, believe it or not, communities just like yours. Here's something you can do today to lend your support in the fight against human trafficking, also known as modern slavery. For example, Tanya was only 11 when she was forced to use her body for her own survival and the perverse desires of others. Now 18, Tanya knows no other life. She can't even remember when she was able to choose how she wanted to dress. Tanya dreams of being a teacher one day, and with the help of Bridge to Freedom programs and your support, they can empower her and others like her to move from surviving to thriving. You can make a huge difference in the life of a survivor this year through your support and donations to Bridge to Freedom Foundation. Bridge to Freedom is a nonprofit organization that provides aid to survivors of slavery who now live in the U.S., such as former child soldiers and victims of sex trafficking and forced labor. The cornerstone of Bridge to Freedom's work is personal and professional development to help survivors adapt and thrive in their new lives and communities and find work to support themselves. The Bridge to Freedom Foundation needs your support to help people just like Tanya. They need your urgent action to ensure that they can continue to provide clothing and health and beauty services to these survivors. These are not only important for rebuilding self-esteem, but are crucial to finding employment. They're also in great need of storage containers and clothing racks to organize and store donations. While donations of needed items are vital, one sure thing that will help to stop the spread of this injustice and prevent it from thriving undetected is educating yourselves about human trafficking or slavery and knowing the signs and the proper authorities to contact if you become aware of a victim in crisis. Find out more at bridgetofreedomfoundation.org or if you have a reason to suspect that someone may be a victim of human trafficking, please call the National Human Trafficking Resource Center hotline on 1-888-373-7888. Multilingual call specialists are on standby 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. All calls are confidential. And we're back. Mondi, did we get you back? Yes. 
Okay, I think that um, somehow uh, the little icon on your um, line there was telling me the wrong thing. You might have been muted. Okay. I didn't know what it was. I was so enthralled that I couldn't even get off the mute. I was just talking. Like, they're not responding. <laughs> oh, wow. So I'm sorry. No, no. LaRonda, I totally enjoyed it. And, uh, you know, I wish what I said before I could have recorded because it was deep, girl. It was deep. But no, um, I can uh, relate. But I really liked the, 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 um, the musical accompaniment with the piano. Um, I just thought that it gave it, um, just took, the words to another level and um you know when you think of of the emotions like you know hating or jealousy you usually think in red you think loud cymbals gongs but you know you worked it out with a nice piano which lets you know that you know hating is around the board and it's you know it's it's soft like a, you know a pebble thrown on a lake or it's huge like a tsunami but either way you know we got to keep it moving and and you That's know right. just let it be like water off a duck's back so now, listen you, to Manda talking you. all that poetry ah! stuff. Go ahead, kill it. Just kill it. You know how we do from one left-handed person to another? Uh-huh. Oh, really? Oh, okay. But it, it was, like I said, it was an incident that happened, but it, it's all good now. But sometimes you have to speak your mind. You have to let people know that, you know, I'm, you're not going to walk over me, all over me. Mm-hmm. You know, you might get to my door, but I'm not going to just, you know, I'm not going to let you walk all over me, so... Mm-hmm. It's all good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you felt a lot better after you wrote that as well. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes just the writing in itself, um, you know, soothes the hurt. Um, but being able to perform it as well, I'm sure that's just the, the icing on the cake. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not like you just called them up and just all of a sudden started your poem, right? <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> yeah. Well... No. Yeah, we, we're down to only about two minutes left. Amanda, I wanted people to also find um, your website information. Um, it was a little tricky. I had to Google it myself to be able to get to the um, 733 um, website. Um, I, I tried to put it in the way it was on the link, and uh, I had a little issue with it. But tell everyone how they can um, find out exactly what you're up to and, you know, okay. what's going on. You know, on. it's kind of like that church building fund. <laughs> so basically, my website is under construction, but it de- it should be up in the next week, couple of okay. weeks. Um, but it will be my www.mondaweb.com. Okay. And um, but I'm, I'm I'm on Facebook, very active on Facebook, as you said, and on Twitter under Monda Web. So you can find me out there, and I'm also on MySpace. So. Oh, okay, Thank great. Awesome. Awesome. Well, we're looking forward to, you know, hearing from um, any progress in the film. And um, if you guys are filming in the D.C. area, you got to let me come and um, check it out and take some pictures of everything in action, too. Well, you know we need a radio host. <laughs> yeah, let me know. We'll work it out. Okay. Yeah, as long as it's not that main character radio guy. Ooh. No, no, we, we want you to stay married. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that guy is uh wow. Anyway. Well, Manda, I'll definitely look you up on Facebook and befriend you. So. Oh, well, I've I'll already looking for a friend that. request, my dear. Okay. Yes. Well, I have to close the show now. Okay. Seconds left in the show, but uh, we will you, talk Mike. with you soon. Thank you very much. And special thanks to our producer, Donna Hardiman. I'm Michael Fordham, and you've been listening to A Measure of Truth. But before you go, here's a little something to take with you. 
ask God for wisdom daily. But know that your lesson can come from anybody or any situation, good or bad, friend or foe. Watch your thoughts. They become words. And watch your words. They become actions. And watch your actions. They become habits. And watch your habits. They become your character. And watch your character. It becomes your destiny. Until we meet again, take care of what becomes of you.